0: You're listening to the DNB Supply Show Podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, everyone, today we are going to be talking all about flies, mosquitoes, and other insects. And we did that big episode a couple weeks back all about mosquitoes. And really, as we started doing the interviews and started talking to experts on that, We really got into telling you all about how the abatement districts worked and then talking about mosquitoes as a vector and why we need to take them seriously. But we're going to dial it in a little tighter today and talk about what we can do in terms of flies, mosquitoes, other insects that bother us and our livestock. So today we have a guest coming on from the University of Idaho Extension Service who's going to talk all about these different bugs and what they do, uh, these different insects and how they impact us and some of the things that we can do to protect uh, our livestock ourselves and to reduce our exposure to these insects. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you're having a great beginning to your summer and we will jump into it right now. Joining me today is Brad Stokes. He is the extension educator for Elmore County in Idaho with a specialty in insects as well as cropping systems. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for uh, having me, and hi to all your listeners.
0: (laughs) Thanks. We've been kind of exploring the world of mosquitoes, and now we're going to continue exploring the world of insects and a little more on mosquitoes, borrowing your expertise today. And I wondered if we might be able to start off just by kind of having you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what your experience is, and kind of how you wound up being an extension educator uh, here in Elmore County.
1: Okay, great. Well, um, I started out actually as an undergraduate at the University of Idaho. That degree was in horticulture with a minor in crop science. Uh, what a great field to study for all the listeners out there. <laughs> and after working with an entomologist for several years and as an undergrad, I applied for a master's position up there studying pea aphids and peas and legumes and the viruses they transmit. And that got me really into the insects, especially after taking some classes from some of the great professors up at the University of Idaho. I got really involved, and um, my boss was an extension specialist, which got me very interested in extension in itself, which is extending our knowledge from the university to the public. So that's how I got into extension, and I was just hired in March down here for Elmore County. Which is very exciting.
0: Good for you. And how are you enjoying it so far?
1: So far, I enjoy it. I did grow up in Boise, so that's only about a 38-minute drive away. So it's wonderful over here in Mountain Home.
0: Well, good. Yeah, we were just down there for a softball game not too long ago for my daughter's team. And really, really pretty area. I always like heading down there.
1: It is beautiful and hopefully the wind was low while you were here.
0: <laughs> we had a uh-huh. unprecedented night in Mountain Home. I don't even think there was a breeze. It was unbelievable. So yeah, it was oh, great. great. Well, we did a big episode uh, just a little while back on mosquitoes and trying to give people some insights into how abatement districts work and some of the efforts that are made to control mosquitoes and, you know, what to be on the lookout for and why this is actually an important thing. And we had on a a director of the Canyon County Abatement District, and then we had on an expert from the USDA talking about mosquitoes as vectors. I mean, it was really, really eye-opening just how impactful mosquitoes have been to world populations I guess since day 1 now with you we're going to dial it yep. in a little bit to very specific things people can do not just for mosquitoes but for a lot of other insects that are out there biting flies mites fleas lice whatever we can talk about so let's take it away and start with mosquitoes and we'll kind of we'll jump off there and then we'll get into some of these other insects that are
1: out there Okay. Well, mosquitoes are quite interesting organisms. So they are part of the true flies, the Diptera, which basically translates to two winged. The males are completely innocuous. So the males only feed on nectar. They don't hurt you at all. It's only the females that bite you and transmit disease and are what we call hematophagous, which is blood feeding. They have stylets that go through our skin to our capillaries, and pull blood out. Mosquitoes have changed the course of human history as far as malaria is concerned. Malaria still kills about 1 million people per year, which is a very, very large amount of people, and it has evolved humans as far as their genome, which is the allele for sickle cell anemia. Now, sickle cell anemia is fatal in the homozygous state, but it protects against malaria in the heterozygous state. So in places where malaria is prevalent, you have a larger population of humans with that heterozygous allele for sickle cell anemia. Mosquitoes also vector in the United States, West Nile virus, which is an upcoming and now endemic virus that will be in the US and Idaho for years to come, mm-hmm. probably never get eradicated. We're also hearing more about Zika virus. so that's very, very important from a human health standpoint. So,
0: from a practical standpoint, then, uh, Zika virus, not that that's prevalent in Idaho and Oregon, but Zika virus, West Nile, and all the other bad things, just the annoyance of getting bit by mosquitoes. What are some things that people can do to either minimize that or prevent it altogether?
1: To minimize the chances of getting bitten by female mosquitoes, these insects are what we call crepuscular, which means they like to feed at dawn and dusk. So if you can avoid, number one, going out when the sun's just coming up or just going down, that's a great start. Wearing long sleeve clothing is also a great option. And then you get into some of the chemical control repellent, which would include beet, ticaridin, and then oil of lemon or oil of eucalyptus, which are approved by the EPA. Oil
0: of eucalyptus, that is something that'll work?
1: <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Your repellency of that has been tested. I don't think it's been compared to D and picaridin, which are much better repellents. But if someone's looking for a more safe, less toxic approach to repelling mosquitoes from their body, this oil of eucalyptus, oil of lemon... A lot of these natural plant oils that are listed from mosquito repellency Mm -hmm. can be a viable option.
0: Now, you always read about how much DEET you should or should not use if you're not going to use like an organic type of repellent like you're talking about. So, uh, should we be concerned if we're putting too much DEET on our bodies?
1: As far as putting DEET on your body, any person in the public or the private, number one, you should and must comply with the pesticide label that's on that bottle. Um, it's a lawful document created and approved by the EPA and your State Department of Agriculture. Using that chemical at the approved label rate should not cause any long-term or short-term health hazards. So I have seen some research recently and I think it's been in the news recently that it may be toxic, cancer, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the EPA, again, does these long-term studies of these chemicals so they get approved and researched thoroughly.
0: Okay, so follow the labels, and then you see some bottles that are higher percentage DEET than others. So does that make much of a difference?
1: I have not seen the research on the percentages, And to be honest, entomologists don't precisely know the mode of action for d and how it stops or prevents mosquitoes from finding us. All we know is that it confuses them. It almost certainly attaches or disrupts their chemo or mechanoreceptors in their antennae.
0: Now, what about citronella and citronella candles? Do those work pretty good?
1: And those can work quite well in the backyard if you're burning a candle that is more of that natural plant oil, essential oil extracts that help confuse and repel mosquitoes.
0: Well, what uh, before we move on, what else should we know about mosquitoes? Practical advice to minimize the nuisance and reduce our risk of things like West Nile?
1: There are some actual very common sense approaches to minimizing mosquitoes, especially around your house. Any sort of Standing water is a potential breeding ground for the larvae. So getting rid of cans, tires, um, if you have a backyard pond, there are some natural remedies for treating the larvae. There is Bt. Have you heard of Bt? Bacillus thuringiensis?
0: Just learned about it on our previous episode we did, yeah. And so that's a biological yeah, control, right?
1: that is a biological control. And there is also... An insect growth regulator called Methoprene, which can also be applied to these standing water areas to stop or prevent the development of the mosquito life cycle from entering that adult stage. So those are very easy ways to control them in and around your house. I know over here in Elmore County, we actually give away the mosquito dunks, as they call it, or that BT product for free Mm -hmm. to any owner who wants one.
0: Well, Brad, what should we know when it comes to West Nile virus here in Idaho and eastern Oregon?
1: Okay, well, the great news, Matt, about West Nile is the incidence is going down. Our big year for West Nile in Idaho was 2006, and we had something like 996 human cases. 169 of those were neuroinvasive, and we had 23 deaths of humans in Idaho during 2006. Now, compare it to last year, which was 2016, we only had nine human cases and three were neuroinvasive. So our pest abatement districts are doing a great job at testing mosquitoes, testing horses, testing birds and humans and reducing that virus incidence in our state. Well,
0: that's great news to hear that it's going down so much. I'll tell you what, let's take... Uh, commercial break, and when we come back, let's jump into talking about some other insects that are nuisance and can cause harm to us and our livestock.
2: Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply.
3: D&B knows that your boots are probably the hardest working gear you put on for the day, so they need to fit well, give you plenty of arch support, and have tons of grit to match your determination. And that's what sets White's Boots apart. White's Boots are an American tradition, handcrafted in the U.S. for over 150 years. And whether you're going to work on the ranch, in the field, or on the fire line, White's Boots will be there for you every step of the way. White's Boots, the all-leather legend, available at your favorite D&B supply.
0: All right, Brad. Well, now that we're back, and thank you very much for all the information on mosquitoes. I, You know, that can be so important. I'm glad to, to get more expertise on that on the show. And now I want to talk to you about some other insects out there. And maybe we could start with biting flies. I know those are both a nuisance to humans, but then to our livestock as well.
1: Yes, and there are many biting flies in the state of Idaho. The rest of the biting flies, however, are more painful than the mosquito. They don't necessarily drill into your skin with that antiseptic. These are more of the biting with mandibles type that are very, very painful. The first type are simileids, which we call the black flies or buffalo gnats. And these are very small, black, strongly humpbacked flies. Then we have the tabanids which we have the horse flies and the deer flies. These are medium to very large flies, and they can bite with a very, very painful bite. Mm -hmm. And then we have some mustard flies, which are kind of like your ordinary house fly, but these ones can bite certain species, such as the stable fly and the horn fly and the face fly.
0: And so in terms of... Uh, let's start off with humans in terms of uh, what reactions humans have to being bitten by these flies is it just that momentary sensation of pain when you get one of those really painful fly bites or is there more risk there to to people
1: now these flies more have that sensation where you feel like you're being bit and then that half second later you really really feel it in your neck or on your shoulder or on your ear and these seem to buzz around the head quite a bit, get the neck area, not so much on the legs. Now, the black flies and the buffalo gnats prefer very, very clean, fast-flowing rivers and streams, and these can be found more in the more pristine natural environments or mountainous areas where you like to hike and hunt or go into camp. The tabanids, which are those horse and deer flies, Their larvae develop in all sorts of water. So you can find these just about anywhere. And the muscids or the face fly and the fable fly and the horn fly can also be found almost anywhere as their larvae develop in that moist organic matter that you can find just about anywhere, especially in livestock manure areas.
0: Are they vectors of disease for humans at all? Or is it just the, the nuisance of the bite?
1: There are some species within these that may transfer pathogens, but they are not well known, especially in the United States and Idaho. Now across the entire world, we do have some of these flies that vector protozoans, forpanosomes, and other very, very important diseases such as river blindness in Africa.
0: Now, let's move on and talk about how they impact livestock, because I know that with cattle, with horses, with sheep, that there can be negative impact on the performance of those animals when flies are a problem. Can you talk about that for a moment?
1: Yeah. So all these flies, they're going to be, number one, a nuisance to their animal. Some of them that are not necessarily biting, but maybe laying eggs with larvae developing within the hide of the cows. Can be very important in reducing the quality, or even the entire hide in itself. The stress from all of these flies also takes a big impact on all of the livestock feeding and drinking that occurs and needs to occur for that animal to grow and be productive for the rancher.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Their ability to consume efficiently and then to convert feed efficiently can definitely be impacted by these biting flies yes sir well brad and then just through my own livestock experience and and study in animal science i know that flies you know they can help spread things like pink eye in a herd when when they're on the face of cattle for example and the the, cow, yeah. the cows have pink eye and they're they're teary-eyed those flies are going from cow to cow to cow and i know that they can spread at least that uh, among different cattle within a herd. So certainly something that we want to know what we can do to control or to minimize on our property. So I'll tell you what, let's take another commercial break. And then when we come back, let's talk about some methods we can use to keep these biting flies away, if at all possible.
2: They say legends aren't born, they're made. At Justin Boots, they're made to last, and that's why you can find this legendary western footwear at D&B Supply. In 1879, Justin Boot Company mastered the craft of boot making. Then they spent the next century and a half perfecting it. Today, Justin Boots are still a U.S.-made tradition and an icon of Western culture. Fit for men, women, and kids alike when you need to wear it well, Western style. Stop on by D&B Supply for Justin Boots. A
3: well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-U.S.A. Danner boots At D&B Supply, hold a Danner boot in your hand and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size.
0: All right, Brad. Well, now that we're back, what what tips or advice can you offer us in terms of these biting flies? What can we do to try and minimize uh, their populations on our property or keep them away, if at all possible?
1: I think the best advice I could give to a rancher would be to watch your organic areas. And I don't mean that as like organic wheat or organic. I'm talking about organic material, your manure areas. Right. Those areas that are aquatic and semi aquatic are especially important to the biting flies. That is where their larvae develop and hatch into pupae and then eventually their adult stage. So, by watching those kind of areas and getting a sense of the population in and of itself, you can decide to treat those areas with specific insecticides to eliminate some of that population and reduce it over time.
0: And so if you've got an area where you're getting a concentration of manure or something like that, that's going to be a breeding ground for a lot of these flies.
1: Absolutely. As well as any of these aquatic or semi-aquatic environments, I know irrigation canals can be a huge breeding ground for those buffalo gnats or black flies say like that fast-flowing clean water, which is required for the rancher.
0: Now, I have read somewhere, and you tell me if you've ever heard this, but I've read somewhere that in areas where you've got a concentration of manure and as part of your livestock enterprise, that if you've got chickens in the area, the chickens will actually go and they'll scratch out that larva and help to control your fly populations before they ever start flying and, and spreading disease and biting. Have you ever heard anything like that?
1: I have not. But that does not mean that that is not an absolutely great example of what we call biological control in entomology, where we're using another beneficial organism, in this case a chicken, to control a harmful organism such as a black fly, buffalo gnat, a punky noceum, anything that's going to harm what we value such as our livestock.
0: Well, like I said, that's just something I've read. It's not something that I've proven or I've seen in action and certainly it would only work in certain circumstances. It wouldn't work if you're, you know, grazing cattle over 500 acres or something like that. But then on the other hand, if you're doing that, your concentration of manure is going to be reduced significantly too.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, as uh, some I wanted to bounce off you. It sounds like it makes sense when you read it. Now, whether or not that actually works, I don't know, but it makes a lot of sense when you read it. So maybe someone out, out there has got experience and, and has seen that work. Well, what else are we dealing with in Idaho and eastern Oregon? I mean, there's, there's other insects that you hear about, mites, fleas, lice, things that can impact livestock, can impact people. What else are we dealing with out here?
1: Yeah, we do have fleas out here. We do have lice. And we do have parasitic mice. Now, all of these, depending, of course, upon the species that you're talking about, are parasitic. That is, they're living outside and they're just taking a meal here and there. We also have ticks in our area. And ticks can be very important because of the viruses they Mm -hmm. transmit, such as Rocky Mountain spotted fever, tularemia, Um, You can also get tick paralysis. I have seen a case of an animal getting tick paralysis. So all of these insects and non-insects are important in our society.
0: So what is tick paralysis? How does that manifest itself?
1: Tick paralysis is kind of a unique problem. Basically, it is the animal or person's reaction to the saliva of the tick that's feeding on it. And the most particular thing about the tick paralysis is it's always ascending. So it starts at the feet or the back, the hind of the animal, and moves up, which makes it very easy to diagnose as an entomologist or as a physician.
0: And so uh, does it literally render the person or the animal paralyzed?
1: It does. It actually does. And um, what's very unique also about tick paralysis is once you take that tick and the associated mouth parts out of the infected animal or human, the paralysis will go away in the next couple of days, which makes it quite unique.
0: Oh, wow. That's really, really interesting. So have you ever studied any cases of that happening in this region?
1: I have not in Southern Idaho. I do remember there was a case up in Northern Idaho in the Moscow area where we had a homeowner come in complaining of their dog could not walk or the hind legs were going, and eventually after convincing the homeowner to do a thorough search of the dog and look for ticks in those warm places, like the armpits, the genital area, they found the tick, removed it, and a couple days later, the dog was just fine.
0: Wow, how interesting. So the cure is actually just removing the tick.
1: In the case of tick paralysis? Yes, sir.
0: How oh, interesting. Let's take another commercial break. And then when we come back, I want to keep talking about this. Uh, I, I have found myself uh, saying wow here for a second. We'll be
2: right back. <laughs> D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle look sharp at the rodeo and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply when you need to feed every horse in the barn d&b's
3: got just the feed for every horse at every life stage purina strategy whether your horses are growing breeding showing or performing purina strategy delivers the right density of protein energy and fat with less starch for more endurance and stamina overall get better performance no matter the stage with purina strategy horse feed available at your favorite d&b supply
0: All right, Brad. Well, uh, that was really interesting talking about the tick paralysis. Now, as far as ticks go, and that's something that we're already seeing out at our place in CUNA, and I'm sure everybody else is anywhere. They've got tall grass and things like that this spring. What can you do to try and make sure you don't get those nasty little things on you that you feel crawling around at night
1: when you go to bed? (laughs) The main way to reduce ticks on and around your person is to be very vigilant in, checking yourself after any kind of exposure outside especially now the tick is a very 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 hardy organism and um, if they sense any sort of movement carbon dioxide they'll start their wandering and latch on to anything that grabs or goes by so checking yourself after any kind of hiking Walking even in your backyard can be very, very important in checking the areas of your body that are warm, your armpits, in your genital area, behind your ears, places that are just warmer than your normal body temperature.
0: All right. I may have just had a little shiver as you were describing that, but okay. That's all right. Now, what about some of these other parasitic insects, the mites, the fleas, the lice? What do we do to prevent ourselves from getting exposed to those? And particularly fleas, which over the last couple of years have been carriers of the plague that have been on cats, on dogs, and and humans as well.
1: Absolutely. So in the case of fleas, fleas are a very interesting organisms. They're also very closely related to the flies. They're in the same super order. Pleased in and around southern Idaho, do harbor and transmit the plague virus, which is Yersinia pestis. It's just a pathogen. The plague is present in most of our rodent populations. The ground squirrels or whistle pigs, even the tree squirrels in and around southern Idaho. So it is very present and will be around here forever.
0: It's one of those things that's surprising. The first time you hear about somebody being diagnosed with that, you're like, I thought that was the Middle Ages, but no, it's still around.
1: And it happens every year, it seems like. <laughs> Everyone, there's typically a case every year.
0: Yeah. So what do you do to to prevent yourself from getting exposed to these fleas that can be carrying this disease or this virus?
1: To prevent yourself from being exposed to fleas, First of all, if you have a pet, a cat, or a dog, check them after they've been outside at all. The second piece of advice I would say is never, ever handle potential reservoirs of that bacterium, that pathogen, which would mean if you see any dead squirrels or whistle pigs or anything on the ground, stay away from that. That's a good practical piece of advice. Number three, I would say fleas typically bite you on your lower extremities from the knee down. Mm -hmm. So if you're experiencing constant bites in and around or below your knee, your ankle, your foot, it's almost certainly fleas that are biting you down there.
0: You know, if you've got a pet and your pets come in the house and scratching and you're like, "Uh oh, it's got fleas. So you treat the pet for fleas, but obviously some have made it into the house. Are they in the house until you finally get the house treated and get rid of them? Or if they lose the ability to have a host, are they going to go away on their own?
1: That is actually a very great question. The problem with fleas is they evolved from some insect that was inhabiting the nests of mammals. Now, I consider our house our nest, which we have flakes all over the floor and and the carpet. So there's some organic material in and around our houses. If a flea is to lay eggs inside and the larvae hatch, they have a food source and they can infest your carpet. So that infestation would need to be treated in order to get rid of the fleas inside your house.
0: Well, I wish that was better news, but uh, it's good information anyways, but uh, you'll have to get it treated if you've got an infestation in your house then.
1: That's correct, and they would probably treat the carpet because that's where all the larvae and the pupae would be.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break, and when we come back, we'll talk some more about fleas, and then we'll talk about some of these other parasitic organisms and uh, keep cheering everybody up about these creepy, crawly things.
2: Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the Industrial Revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the work day, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite at D&B Supply. What's the buzz? Backyard beekeeping is a happening trend
3: all over the West and D&B Supply has the gear you need to get in on the hive mentality. Think inside the beekeeping box with supplies by Miller Manufacturing including a 10-frame beginner's hive kit that has what you need to get started in one sweet package. It includes a 10-frame hive with installed frames, smoker, smoke fuel, hive tool, bee brush, and frame feeder. Better add this one to your honey-do list or at least to your shopping list for D&B. What more do we need to know about fleas, about prevention, getting rid of them? Have we
0: covered it all, or is there more that we need to discuss?
1: I think that's about it. I would say, though, at the beginning of the season, it's not a bad idea to buy some of that flea prevention pesticide for your pet that you put on the back of their head or a flea collar. Mm -hmm. Any of those things are good at repelling. And eventually, some of those are systemic and will kill the fleas if they bite your dog or cat or pet.
0: Well, great. Thank you for that. And I want to ask you about mites. I've read about mites. I've looked into that. When it comes to our goats, if your goats, say, as an example, if they have mites, do you start to see evidence of that with hair loss or am I thinking of the wrong thing?
1: No, with the mites, you probably would see some hair loss and you probably see some scratching as well as some irritated skin And some rashes that are on your animal.
0: So what should we be doing in terms of of prevention or at least minimization of this pest, uh, both for our livestock and then for ourselves and our pets?
1: Oh, as far as preventing and control of sheep mites, the best thing is to apply the control tactic in the autumn. This would be September and October, as these pests are mainly a winter pest of the sheep around Idaho.
0: So we're going to start controlling for those in the fall, kind of planning for overwinter and then the next spring that early on.
1: Exactly. And all these mites cause stuff like sheep scab, leg mite, foot scab, and itch mite in those sheep. So you should be able to tell from their behavior that there is some sort of infestation or problem going on. They may be itchy or um, twitching quite a bit, and you may see some of that stuff. Again, that we were talking about earlier as well.
0: I wanted to ask you about a term I've heard a million times and I thought only applied to like the southern U.S., but I've heard it more and more around here in Idaho, and that is the term noceum. So I know that's a common term and a, a non scientific term, but what are people referring to when they say that?
1: So a noceum is what we call fighting midges, basically, and these are very, very, very tiny organisms they range in size from one to four millimeters and can be very small most tents actually that you buy have no seum netting around them So on those windows of your tents you'll mm-hmm. see this very very fine tent. these are very small hematophagous again that's blood sucking flies and it's again with most of these flies it's only the females that are feeding on the blood and they use that blood as the protein to develop the eggs internally.
0: And is that something that we can actually run into here in Idaho or in the Eastern Oregon area?
1: Personally, I have never ran into no in Idaho yet. Now that doesn't mean that they're not here. I could do some research and see if we have them in and around Idaho. I know up North we do Sandpoint and more northern latitude, we have no CMs, and they're especially a big problem in the Midwest, mm-hmm. the Midwestern states of the United States.
0: Well, Brad, what else do we need to know about insects as we enter into summer, and uh, we're trying to keep our livestock healthy and keep ourselves healthy and, and unannoyed? What else do we need to know?
1: The main thing I would say is that insects are everywhere. We have them feeding on our plants, we have them feeding on our cats, our dogs, our pets, our livestock all of our crops, our house plants, manure, sewage they're just abundant in the world. The most important thing I would say to your listeners is that a very, very small percentage of all the insects you ever see or hear or feel biting you that's just a very tiny tiny subsection of all of the insects that are very very beneficial in our world
0: all right so don't let a few bad apples in the insect world paint the entire insect world with a bad brush then
1: exactly There's, <laughs> you know so in idaho we only have 20 mosquitoes so that's only 20 species and i think we have about uh, Thirty thousand insect species within our state, so that's nothing to be okay. too scared of.
0: All right, well, that's great, Brad. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing all this information with us today, and and really giving us some useful and helpful tips.
1: Great, thank you, Matt. I very much appreciated this opportunity.
0: Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.